Hey everyone, it's Anthony. I want to talk to you briefly about my sponsor, Anchor.fm. Anchor is the free platform where I upload podcast episodes and distribute to other channels like Spotify. Anchor is easy to use, provides you all the tools you need to have a successful podcast, and gives you the ability to make money through sponsored segments. You can find the Anthony Miragliata Show on Anchor and on many other channels. And maybe I will see your podcast on Anchor. Hey, you never know. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Anthony Morangliata Show. Today, we are doing another candidate's corner, and joining me today is candidate from the New Jersey's 7th Congressional District, John Eisman. John, thank you for joining. My pleasure. Yeah, so you were in a primary bout with a couple of political heavyweights in New Jersey, and two of them are former Senate Minority Leader Tom Kane Jr. and Assemblyman Eric Peterson. So what makes you believe you could do a better job than them? Yeah, I mean, heavy hitters is a good way to put it. Uh, and these guys, there's a ton of people in this race. Um, Tom and Eric, two of, um, you know, kind of legacy candidates who have been in the state house in Trenton for a while. Um, ton of respect for the both of them. Um, obviously, the Kane family legacy is huge in New Jersey and honor that. And Eric has, has a strong voting record as a conservative in Trenton. Um, but what really sparked, uh, you know, I got into this race when I watched um, you know, Tom Kane Jr. lose to Tom Malinowski in 2020 and looked at our district, which covers six counties, uh, goes from the Hudson to the Delaware and is rapidly turning bluer. And it's driven by millennials and Gen Z's, our generations, um, the largest voting bloc in America, which votes five times more left than right mm-hmm. uh, and has a positive opinion of socialism, socialism. So I looked at the campaigns that Tom had run uh, in three previous federal races. He ran in the seventh in uh, in 2000, ran for Senate in 06, and then ran for the seat in 2020, um, and really saw a lack of energy, of organization, and and hard work uh, to win the seat against our incumbent Democrat, Tom Malinowski. Um, He spent $11 million on races in the past, so... Money and name recognition clearly are not the keys to this seat. And then when it comes to Eric, um, you know, we, you, you look at the state house and you look at the, the state of New Jersey politics. 20 years ago, when Eric started his career, the Republican Party was in a majority in New Jersey. I think a lot of people forget that, that both in the Senate and the Assembly, uh, where Tom and Eric have spent their time, when they started, uh, we were on top. Um, our values were championed. Uh, we didn't get run over by the Democrats, but today mm-hmm. you know, our taxes have gone up 68%. We have the most restrictive gun laws in the country and the most permissive abortion laws in the country. So I look at those guys and say, you know, good guys, but not so much, uh, not the greatest results. So what we're trying to do here is out organize, out energize, and outwork the competition. One in the and really attract a wide base of support from Phillipsburg to Rawway to win this race, not only in 2022 against a relatively weak incumbent in Tom Malinowski, but you have to anticipate that in 2024, regardless of what Republican wins, the DNC, the DCCC is going to drop some young, dynamic, Democratic candidate. Uh, and we're going to be doing this all again if build the party, build the infrastructure, build the energy to get conservatives elected in the 7th District. 
So what I really like about you, John, is that you left your job on Wall Street to run for Congress. So, mm-hmm. you know, just a young young man, you know, promising career on Wall Street, and you all of a sudden you decide to run for Congress. So yeah. in the NJ Globe, you know, you said, and I quote, I got tired of wondering why we can't find better candidates. So I decided to become that candidate. Mm-hmm. We need a generational change in Congress and a categorical shift in the character of our leaders. Someone who's not just worried about getting to Washington in 2022, but more worried about what a country looks like in 2052. What is so important for our country 30 years from now? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's funny when press has to uh, shorten your resume or put it. Um, but I'll just quickly touch on where I've been before I decided to run. So grew up here, uh, you know, born, raised, still live in Long Valley. And then in the last 10 years have been sort of all over the place. I started school in California, finished at UNC Chapel Hill. And then for the last number of years, worked in New York City. Um, and that's where I really started to, you know, seeing all parts of the country, all parts of craziness from L.A. to the district bordering AOCs in Brooklyn, really started to turn my ear to what was going on um, and how desperately, uh, you know, we needed better representation in D.C. And the next generation needed a real champion for conservative values. So at that time, you um, know, like I said, like you acknowledged, I started my career on Wall Street. I was on a derivatives trading desk um, at a big bank in the city. Uh, then I jumped actually out of Wall Street, worked for Columbia Records for a little while, lost in, in entertainment. And I also worked at a technology startup where, you know, when I joined, we were kind of down to our last million in cash. And re- most recently, we uh, the company Air has been valued at $110 million. So helped scale that team from eight people when I was over 38 at this point. Um, and really build a business through the pandemic. So that was a bit of my career and background. I also helped run a nonprofit based in the district in Chester called Beyond the Walls. And what, you know, what is so important in the next 30 years is exactly why I'm running, right? It's not just about the next generation. It's about engaging all generations. Because if you look across the board, um, one, as I mentioned, the stats around, uh, you know, young people's voting uh, tendencies right now, But also you look at uh, older generations, you look at my grandmother who's 88, uh, who lived through World War II and now looks at what's going on in Europe and says, my goodness, what can change in just a few years, let alone 30 years, right? A generation. So I think the biggest challenge over the next 30 years, and uh, I will not be in Congress for 30 years, I can guarantee you that, uh, we might get to this later, but I do plan on term limiting myself, um, is, you know, deciding what the identity of an American and of a conservative is because right now um, the seventh district is a a total bellwether for the rest of the country. And what I mean by that is the seventh was the last of the top 10 wealthiest places in America to be represented by a conservative. So what that means is some of the most well-educated, well-resourced, hardest working people, the people that have the power to change the world, which we've seen time and time again, uh, now vote left more than right, and believe that our path to prosperity is through overtaxing, overregulating, um, and overdistributing instead of America's founding principles of small government, individual liberties, and individual responsibility and freedom. So if we can't course correct that here and start to drive change in the next two years, 20 years, 30 years, um, we're, we're in bigger trouble than just a midterm or just this congressional district. 
So you are one of a few congressional candidates in New Jersey who is running for Congress who is younger than 40. Mm. And two of the other candidates who are under 40 years old running for Congress is Bob Healy in Congressional Mm. District 3 and Nick DiGregorio in Congressional District 5. So what do you think of all these young conservatives running for office? You mentioned uh, Gen Z. There's an organization called Run Gen Z, which promotes you know, people from Generation Z running for office, which I'm, I'm a huge fan of yeah. Gen Z. They do a very good job getting yeah. young people running for office. But especially in a blue state like New Jersey, mm. you know, what, how, what do you think of these young people like yourself running for office? I think it's great. Uh, I wish there were more. There are a whole heck of a lot uh, on the left. Um, but I mean, you look at organizations like Run Gen Z as well, they're completely outnumbered, right? There's 10 to one in terms of uh, 501c4s that are focused on political activism and engaging the next generation. Um, But more so than just youth for the sake of youth, I look at uh, Bob Healy's experience, Nick DiGregorio's experience as exactly what, and mine to a certain extent as well, as exactly what the party needs. Uh, You know, Nick, former Marine, worked on Wall Street as well, actually had the same exact job as me, just at a different bank. Um, and, and Bob has obviously been in the private sector, has worked in uh, hu- humanitarian aid, similar to me, um, having people that have had real life experience that really know what it's like to live in the district, um, you know, raise a family or buy a first home as just an everyday normal uh, you know, citizen of New Jersey is important. And people that can build campaigns, build energy and excitement into races uh, that it's not completely political, right? That they have experience, um, you know, in military service on Wall Street in the private sector. That's how you start to run modern campaigns. That's how you attract new people to the party, and that's how you're going to win elections long term. Um, and that that's what excites me most about the young candidates, the young conservatives running in New Jersey right now. So tell us a little bit more about your platform. Like, what are your three top stances in your yeah. campaign? Yeah, well, we have, you know, there's really three things and you can't have one of any of these without the other. The first focus is bring opportunity back to New Jersey. Everybody says that and pounds the table about that and doesn't understand what comes with it. So bring opportunity back to New Jersey as a congressman means advocating, voting and and being vocal for smart economic policy, uh, both domestically and internationally. uh, That drives opportunity back to our state perfect example of, of a miss on that and something I wish Congress, uh, you know, our representatives from New Jersey did a better job on was the last tax bill. The 2017 Tax and Jobs Act was written by a Republican from Texas. I mean, it was a, a good bill at a high level, um, lowered our taxes, simplified the tax code and, and lit our economy on fire, which was fantastic. But um, it totally washed out New Jersey um, and, and took away our state and local tax deduction so not having a voice in Congress for our issues, um, have a direct uh, direct feedback on, on what we get back in terms of opportunity. You see it with families, businesses, individuals, and taxpayers leaving the state. You can't bring opportunity back. You can't have real weight in Washington unless you start to reform how Washington works. So that's the second point, right? First is bring opportunity back to New Jersey. Second is change Washington. That's through things like term limits, term limiting ourselves by the U.S. Term Limit Pledge, which is no more than three two-year terms in Congress, either move up or move out. What that does is changes the character of our leaders that go to D.C. They go, 
they have an understanding of civic duty and service. They make change, they get on the committees they need to get on, and then they get out. Um, we also want to look into things like lobbying reform. Um, you probably saw the piece we did in Business Insider that highlights um, banning stock trading. Our Democratic incumbent, Tom Malinowski, made $3 million by trading healthcare stocks undisclosed during the pandemic. Yes, he it, did. So many of us are, are totally turned off to the idea that change comes from Washington because of characters like that. So if we can change Washington, bring good minds, good talent, and good energy, um, we will be able to bring opportunity back to New Jersey. And the last piece is, like I said, empowering the next generation of conservatives. And that's not just the younger generation. That's the next generation of conservatives. There might be you know, a retiree that's voted Democratic his entire life and now looks at the Democratic Party and says, hmm, that's not the party I know. That's not the party of JFK anymore. I'm the new generation of conservatives. So all of those pieces come together and really are the backbone of our race and platform. Beautiful. Uh, so we're going to move on now into issues affecting New Jersey. Um, before you just mentioned for salt. So New yeah. Jersey is one of the most overtaxed states in the nation. And New Jersey has not been getting a lot of support with the salt deduction mm-hmm. of the state and local taxes. Um, so will you pledge to vote against any bill that raises taxes? Absolutely. And I think when it comes to salt, um, New Jersey representatives at the federal level are not doing enough, right? You know, we'll, when I get to Congress, we will restore the state and local tax deduction with a cap of 100000 But more importantly, what we're going to fight against is just having this salt deduction be an excuse and a blank check for blue states like New Jersey to spend to the hill. Um, we've seen our state house and, and, and our governor increase COVID. Um, that is why this state becomes so unaffordable. So what we need to do at the federal level, like I said, when it comes to bringing opportunity back to New Jersey, is create good policy that trickles down to the states and make states uh, you know, compete for opportunity. One way to do that is by putting a cap on budget expenditure at the state and local level and say, okay, you can deduct your state taxes if your state house is willing to follow these guidelines of spending um, and being conservative with their budget. Same way at the local level, right? You can't have a state state tighten the purse strings and then have your local town municipality, which really drives things like property taxes, you know, be spending uncontrollably. So thinking creatively about that salt deduction. So it, you know, fixes the complete kick in the teeth that the last tax bill was to New Jerseyans, especially in my district, but starts to work forward. And not just, like I said, give blue states, Phil Murphy and our legislature a complete excuse um, to spend whatever they want. So your district is home to many farms. Um, you know, I passed by farms in some district mm. many, many times. It's a beautiful, beautiful district. Uh, but many of those farmers have been left behind by the Biden administration. What yeah. will you do to help the farmers in your district? Yeah, I mean, it's... You drive around Hunterdon County, Sussex County, Warren County. I mean, even Morris here where I am right now, I think I could see three farms from where I'm sitting right now. Um, and I grew up working on a cheese farm. My brothers uh, worked on Ort Farm for close to a decade at this point. Um, it is such uh, not just a crucial part of the New Jersey economy. Uh, it's you know not just a, a cheeky nickname that we're the Garden State. That's real. But also a part and 
when you knock, we knocked on I think 500 doors in Hunterdon County. And the one conversation we had, uh, we drove down probably a mile long driveway, driveway through close to 80 acres of farmland and got to the house. And the couple said, yeah, it's a beautiful property, but nobody wants farms anymore. Um, and the government's making it very, very difficult um, to compete uh, you know, with international imports to compete uh, in New Jersey. Um, it, when we have smaller farms, the 7th District has some of the the highest number of small acre farms in the country. Uh, they're not just mass, uh, you know, uh, you know, factor, farm factories. They're, they're real, uh, you know, family farms. And what we need to do is continue to make that, uh, you know, a focal point of New Jersey. Uh, people too often look at Jersey and think, okay, you're the shadow of the city, you're Trenton, you're Camden, you're Newark. Uh, but so much of our heart is in these farms. You look at projects and focuses like, um, the Warren County commissioners right now that are working to have the Delaware Recreation Center recognized as a national park. Things like that that don't seem clearly focused on, on agricultural legislation start to shift the weight of New Jersey from the coast, from the cities, into our green spaces, into our farms, and starts to give a lot more attention to what is at the backbone of our state. Um, those are the things we need to do um, to stop, uh, you know, uh, beating up farmers the way they have in just the last couple of years. New Jersey leads the nation in outbound migration. What will you do to make New Jersey more competitive so residents stay? Yeah, I think the most concerning thing about New Jersey and the outbound migration is not just that, but it's the lack of inbound migration as well, right? Outbound is, is technically a, a net of the both, but people forget that we were on the short list for Amazon's HQ2. The amount of opportunity in the last 10 years is astounding. And that is part in part why businesses and companies like Nabit, but it's not just uh, big multinational corporations that are moving their headquarters for tax purposes. It's small business owners, right? Look at all of the gyms, the hair salons, the caterers, you name it. Small businesses that have were shut down during COVID and are now trying to get their business back up and look at all of the regulation on small businesses in New Jersey. I think the average cost to do business and hire employees for a small business in New Jersey, somewhere around 70% higher than that of a large business. They look at the tax climate. They look at uh, you know, the culture, the policy, the state house and say, I could restart this business back up in Florida or Delaware or Texas for a lot cheaper, a place where my values are championed. So that, that's one piece, right? Uh, allowing opportunity to come in, being competitive, um, from a tax perspective, from a cost of living perspective. So that's state and local levels, but also understanding things like education are a huge issue in New Jersey. Um, you look at families that are now leaving. Like I said, it's not just businesses and retirees who can't afford to take their pension here in Jersey. Um, it's families that say, man, I'm paying so much in property taxes to support this public school. And I send my kids there and that's not what I want my kids being taught. So then I'm going to go to private schools and then I'm still getting hit on property taxes. You know what? I'm just going to get the heck out of Dodge. When we lose those families, you lose the anchors of communities. The people that are, you know, uh, small group leaders in your churches that are class moms in your schools, coaches, um, you know, of your kids, softball, baseball and basketball teams. Once that starts to go, um, you know, that's concerning. And I'm very optimistic that this can all be changed. We've seen states like Massachusetts, which used to be called Taxachusetts, 
uh, turn itself around, uh, become one of the best places to do business, a more affordable state and, and the number one education state in the country. So there's hope. Um, we just need champions uh, of conservative leadership to be elected at every level to get there. And that's what Jack Tiverelli really made a focal point of his campaign to make New Jersey more competitive. So yeah, people stay. Yeah. So in your opinion, what is the biggest problem affecting the seventh congressional district? Yeah. One thing I pointed out earlier uh, in our conversation was the fact that New Jersey is, was, or the New Jersey seventh is one of the top 10 wealthiest places in the country. And that's not just, like I said, it's education, it's hard work. It's a ton of pieces that, that go into that. Um, And that has a direct reflect on what issues people care about, a direct reflection on what issues people care about. If you look at our district almost every year, because there's an election every year in New Jersey, uh, but especially at the midterms and in the general election years, the top three, four issues almost exactly mirror the top three, four issues nationally. So if you look right now, it's inflation. It's ending these COVID mandates and restrictions and getting all of us back to work. Um, it's, you know, America's standing in the world. It's the border. So all of those issues are extremely important. It's the integrity of Washington, right? I think, like I said, uh, Tom Malinowski has become the poster boy for congressional ethics and now is trying to, uh, you know, get uh, become the, the tip of the spear in, in correcting it. Um, that's a really salient issue. Um, when we knock on doors and we're talking pre-primary in this convention process in New Jersey, that hits with people, right? Someone who is, um, you know, maybe not so tuned into national politics or even state and local stuff, um, has a job, has four kids, uh, you know, like I said, as a leader in their local church, doesn't have much time. They've seen the articles about Tom Malinowski. They know that their congressman came up from D.C. back into Jersey, parachuted himself into a district and became rich in the last few years um, while he was railing against the senators in Georgia for doing the same. Um, While people like uh, my great uncle was locked in a nursing home in New Jersey, he was profiting on those trades. That's easy for people to understand. It's not as far and away as as geopolitics and foreign affairs issues. It's right here. It's our representative who's paid with our tax dollars. That is a huge issue for people in our district. So we're going to move on now to the issues affecting the country. Mm. So first off, um, in summer 2020, um, the organization known as Black Lives Matter um, destroyed our major American cities, like yep. buildings on fire, calling to defund the police. So first, do you wholeheartedly condemn BLM? Wholeheartedly. I don't know if you've seen the recent articles, um, but states like California and Washington uh, that are by no means conservative friendly states are actively investigating the Black Lives Matter Global Foundation, which is group due to the irregularities of, of how they organize, how they fundraise. I mean, you see in Louisville, um, the, the criminal who, who tried to assassinate the, governor, the, the mayor candidate down there was bailed out through the BLM bail fund. Uh, you know, any group, whether it's BLM, Antifa or any other that burns down cities. I mean, look, 2020, I was in Seattle. I was in Portland. I was in Los Angeles. And I saw this happen. Uh, I saw cities, I mean, cities like Louisville that will not come back from this destruction. Um, it, it's, it's absolute insanity. Um, and we can't, 
it's not just the cities, right? It's not just the CHOP and the CHAZ that will never come back. It's our local police force. It's our state troopers. Anthony, I bet you probably never seen as many. Uh, I had never seen a state trooper, trooper recruitment ad on Facebook, on the radio like I have today. I've never seen as many uh, law enforcement career fairs going on um, all around the state. That's because our state trooper applications, which usually we have uh, you know, th thousands upon thousands, are down 200%. We can't get people to become police officers anymore. And though we're going to work hard when we're in Congress to refund the police, it's extremely difficult to make up for the early retirements that you've seen on the backs of these BLM riots on you know, the high school and college grads who dreamed their whole lives of serving their community as police officers say, unfortunate. you know what, I'm not going to do that. I mean, my brother-in-law is a police officer here in Washington Township, a SWAT officer in Huntington County, um, recently married to my sister. And I remember after they got engaged, uh, they got engaged in the summer of 2020. And I remember sitting down with my father and he said, hmm, was never really worried about Ryan being a police officer. Um, but here we are. And, and that's stuff that you can't fix with a bill and it's going to take time. Um, and that's why these organizations are, are doing so much harm to our country. Yeah. And I remember, um, you know, when the news came out, when BLM supposedly like used the money that they got from the, from the fun, from the, from the fundraising money they got from over the summer of 2020. And they used, the money pretty much to buy these mansions in Beverly Hills. Um, so yeah. now are the same people who are posted black squares on Instagram. Yeah. I just got screwed. But, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, look, we, you know, we can agree on this too, John, you know, we, you know, we love anyone regardless of what their skin color is. We just to disagree with this organization and what they stand for. Because even, even their founders have even said that they're self-proclaimed Marxists and their, their members are also Marxists. Exactly. And, and that's what we stand against. Um, I stand against that as much as I stand against, uh, you know, police brutality and police violence. Uh, there's a lot of problems we need to fix, but an organization backed by Marxists like BLM is not going to do the work to fix it. So if, if you're elected to Congress, uh, will you call for an investigation to the summer 2020 BLM riots? Absolutely. I mean, we are long overdue for that. Um, and and we're not going to let it off the hook either. We're going to look at politicians like Maxine Waters, even our vice president, Kamala Harris, who are, incited this violence. Um, you had Maxine Waters uh, stand out on the streets and say people should should be more angry. People should get more aggressive. Uh, those, are, those are the politicians and organizations that we need to look into. I totally agree with you. Um, so... As you know, there's the Freedom Convoy currently going on in Canada, and Justin Trudeau is um, trying to freeze um, the truckers' bank accounts and kill their cats and dogs. Yep. Um, so now the Freedom Convoy is starting in the United States. It's making its way to D.C. Mm. Um, so the truckers, um, well, at least in Canada and the United States, they're, they're being called you know, terrorists. They're, um, they're called right-wing fringe, um, yep. which we both know is not true. Um, that's so, become uh, all too often when the left disagrees with you, you uh, are suddenly a Nazi, a fascist, and a terrorist. Uh, the words right out of my mouth. How we got here. Yeah. Yeah, like the new, like, Nazi, fascist, terrorist, um, you know, conspiracy theorist, uh, racist. That's just what, you know, that's what the left uses when they, they disagree with you, but they can't think of anything to say. Like, in reality, look, Donald Trump was never a fascist. He's not even remotely close to being 
a fascist. And the people who say that he was worse than Hitler, they have no idea what they're talking about. No idea. Yeah, exactly right. Um, but but to your question, I mean, this this is a really cool, peaceful protest. Um, and I support that 100 uh, percent. You look at a country like Canada, it's almost scary how, uh, you know, the clamping down on democracy is starting to get closer to America from Australia during COVID to Canada right now in this protest, I don't think you're going to see anything like that here. Um, you know, I, understandably, people are frustrated with, with this administration, with Trudeau's administration. Um, again, what's happening to hardworking Americans is similar to what happened to our police officers, right? In just a year or two's time, um, their right to work has largely been taken away. Uh, inflation has made their lives completely unaffordable. Jobs are being taken uh, by people coming through the border and uh, business restrictions are making it even worse. Uh, it's, you know, I, I would love to be in DC this weekend for that. Um, as you know, we're in the thick of county convention season. I'm not even down at CPAC at all because we're, you know, we got hundreds, I think I got 20 volunteers come to our office tomorrow to kick off uh, to knock on doors. But, you know, we need more of that energy and more people, um, standing up, um, whether it's running for office, whether it's supporting a political candidate or protesting uh, in the way of these truckers. Yeah, I totally agree. And to your point about CPAC, you know, I'm, I'm watching CPAC actually right from a right side broadcasting network. I yeah. wish I could go this year, um, but I know a lot of people from New Jersey who are attending. I know they're having a very, very fun time, mm. um, but I'm looking forward to going to CPAC next year. Yeah, especially when uh, I think of the day of recording this podcast, I had three inches of ice on my car when I went out this morning. Um, we had to film a video and we did part of it outside. You'll see it. It'll come out in a couple of days now. Um, but you could see the smoke coming off our breath. And I was just thinking about all my friends down at CPAC. But um, we got our work cut out for us and it'll be warm up here in Jersey soon. Right. So on February 24th, Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, both countries have been at war with each other since February 2014. And on the Anthony Merliotta show, our prayers are with the people mm -hmm. of Ukraine. Um, John, your thoughts? Is yeah, this is the outcome of um, you know, continued projection of weakness uh, from leaders uh, in the Biden administration, right? Uh, from Joe Biden to Anthony Blinken. Um, we've completely telegraphed weakness in Afghanistan to Ukraine. And now we're doing the same uh, in Taiwan um, and showing the Chinese Communist Party that if you're not a papered ally uh, with America, it, it's in question of if we're going to stand for your democracy. Um, when we don't um, you know, show strength, we don't, when we don't prioritize democracy around the world, we see things like this happen. We should have been providing lethal and non-lethal support for months since November when we knew this was a problem. Um, we don't need to be sending combat troops on the ground to Ukraine, but what we should be prepared to do and what NATO should be prepared to do is match the Russian aggression right now. And not by rolling tanks in, but having troops prepared to support Ukraine. Uh, the U.S. is on the hook to the tune of 22% financially uh, in its NATO partnership. So we should be prepared to bring that percentage of troops to whatever NATO prepares. Um, you know, the sanctions that the U.S. initially put out, I don't believe were enough. I think we do need to look, take, a, take a look at the SWIFT banking codes and cutting them off of the SWIFT telecommunication system. 
I think a great, uh, you know, uh, representation of strength was Boris Johnson's speech uh, just yesterday and his opposition leader's speech right after that, right? Both parties in a country coming together and recognizing that, hey, this threat to democracy, though it's not at our borders, is very real and has implications not just in Europe, but around the world. Um, and I believe today Joe Biden increased those sanctions. But uh, it's like you said, not just our prayers and thoughts, but, um, you know, our eyes are on Ukraine uh, supporting them. I, I wish we would uh, come out stronger in support there. Um, but it's extremely empowering and exciting to see uh, fighters for freedom in Zelensky, in the, the Klitschko brothers, uh, people that are standing up for their country and standing up against tyrants like Vladimir Putin. All right. So now we're going to move into um, your questions about your campaign. Yeah. So where can people find more of your content? So the website is johneisman.com. Um, and then what I would ask everybody to do is we're everywhere, right? So you can go to uh, eisman.us slash go as well. Um, we have all of our stuff there. As you can imagine, we're on everything, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, TikTok, you name it. Um, follow us on Instagram. Come out and door knock with us. A lot of people are asking me, and I'm not sure when this episode will come out, but at any stage of the campaign, um, as someone who comes from tech, you think, oh, I'll be able to figure this out. I don't need all these old fashioned things. There's nothing more powerful in terms of activating voters, getting people excited about how much they can really change their country uh, than having a face-to-face -face conversation with them. And for volunteers, for people that want to get involved with this campaign, whether you're eight years old or 88 years old, come out and hang out with me on a weekend for three hours. We'll hit 20 doors. We'll talk to 20 people. You'll get a real understanding of the organization and the team behind us. And you'll be excited. Uh, you know, you'll start at 11, end at two, or start at two, end at 11. You'll be and how much all of us can do when we believe in something and we put put um, you know join the team that's the three site or get involved join the team and donate.com also how and how can people get involved in your campaign you mentioned volunteering yeah we had so volunteers and interns have been the bread and butter Right, we are running a very lean. We're not backed by some massive, uh, you know, corporate or even conservative group. Um, we're backed by people all around the country. Our donations are from out. Them come from people who've never given a political campaign before. Whether you're interested in politics, or you're interested in graphic design, and never thought you'd be involved in politics. If the idea of what we're doing interests you. Um, you know, shoot uh, an email to us, fill out our volunteer survey. Um, the link to that is just, and we will match your experience with, with our needs, uh, and give you a real, a real opportunity. That's, um, very well, he said, uh, John, um, Alexa, um, thank you again for, um, joining the show. Um, thank you, Anthony. It's awesome. And good luck um, with your congressional race. We definitely need more people like you because Malinowski is the worst. <laughs> we need more people like you too, Anthony. And I have no doubt, regardless of outcome, we'll both be here in Jersey building the party for years to come. Yep, I'm not leaving anytime soon. I'm leaving the state anytime soon. Awesome, um, man. We'll talk yeah. soon. Have a great weekend. Yes, this is Anthony Mirangliata signing off. Catch you later, everybody.